Apologia of St. John Damascene Against Those Who Decry Holy Images Part 1 With the ever-present conviction of my own unworthiness, I ought to have kept silence and confessed my shortcomings before God. But all things are good at the right time. I see the church which God founded on the apostles and prophets, its cornerstone being Christ the Son, tossed on an angry sea, beaten by rushing waves, shaken and troubled by the assaults of evil spirits. I see rents in the seamless robe of Christ, which impious men have sought to part asunder, and his body cut into pieces, that is, the word of God and the ancient tradition of the church. Therefore I have judged it unreasonable to keep silence and to hold my tongue, bearing in mind the scripture warning, If you withdraw yourself, my soul shall not delight in you, and if you see the sword coming and do not warn your brother, I shall require his blood at your hand. Fear, then, compelled me to speak. The truth was stronger than the majesty of kings. I bore testimony to you before kings, I heard the royal David saying, and I was not ashamed. No, I was the more incited to speak. The king's command is all-powerful over his subjects, for few men have hitherto been found who, while recognizing the power of the earthly king to come from above, have resisted his unlawful demands. In the first place, grasping as a kind of found pillar or foundation the teaching of the Church, which is our salvation, I have opened out its meaning, giving as it were the reins to a well-caparisoned charger. For I look upon it as a great calamity that the Church, adorned with her great privileges and the holiest examples of saints in the past, should go back to the first rudiments and fear where there is no fear. It is disastrous to suppose that the Church does not know God as He is, that she degenerates into idolatry, for if she declines from perfection in a single iota, it is as an enduring mark on a comely face, destroying by its unsightliness the beauty of the whole. A small thing is not small when it leads to something great. Nor, indeed, is it a thing of no matter to give up the ancient tradition of the Church held by our forefathers, whose conduct we should observe, and whose faith we should imitate. In the first place, then, spe before speaking to you, I beseech Almighty God, to whom all things lie open, who knows my small capacity and my genuine intention, to bless the words of my mouth, and to enable me to bridle my mind and direct it to Him, to walk in His presence straightly, not declining to a plausible right hand, nor knowing the left. Then I ask all God's people, the chosen ones of His royal priesthood, with the holy shepherd of Christ's orthodox flock, who represents in His own person Christ's priesthood, to receive my treatise with kindness, 
They must not dwell on my unworthiness, nor seek for eloquence, for I am only too conscious of my shortcomings. They must consider the thoughts themselves. The kingdom of heaven is not in word, but in deed. Conquest is not my object. I raise a hand which is fighting for the truth, a willing hand under the divine guidance. Relying, then, upon substantial truth as my ally, I will enter on my subject matter. I have taken heed to the wor words of truth himself. The Lord my God is one. And thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and shalt serve him alone, and you shall not have strange gods. Again, you shall not make to yourself a graven thing, nor the likeness of anything that is in heaven above, nor in the earth beneath. And let them be all confounded that adore graven things. Again, the gods that have not made heaven and earth, let them perish. In this way, God spoke of old to the patriarchs through the prophets, and lastly, through his only begotten Son, on whose account he made the ages. He says, This is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou didst send. I believe in one God, the source of all things, without beginning, uncreated, immortal, everlasting, incomprehensible, bodiless, invisible, uncircumscribed, without form. I believe in one supersubstantial being, one divine Godhead in three entities, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I adore him alone with the worship of Latreia. I adore one God, one Godhead but three persons, God the Father, God the Son made flesh, and God the Holy Spirit, one God. I do not adore creation more than the Creator, but I adore the creature created as I am, adopting creation freely and spontaneously, that he might elevate our nature and make us partakers of his divine nature. Together with my Lord and King, I worship him clothed in the flesh, not as if it were a garment or he constituted a fourth person of the Trinity. God forbid! That flesh is divine, and endures after its assumption. Human nature was not lost in the Godhead, but just as the Word made flesh remained the Word, so flesh became the Word remaining flesh, becoming, rather, one with the Word through union. Therefore, I venture to draw an image of the invisible God, not as invisible, but as having become visible for our sakes through flesh and blood. I do not draw an image of the immortal Godhead, I paint the visible flesh of God, for it is impossible to represent a spirit, how much more God who gives breath to the spirit. Now. Adversaries say, God's commands to Moses the lawgiver were, You shall adore, shall worship him, the word thy 
the Lord thy God, and thou alone, and thou shalt not make to yourself a graven thing that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath. They err truly, not knowing the scriptures, for the letter kills while the spirit quickens, not finding in the letter the hidden meaning. I could say to these people with justice, He who taught you this would teach you the following. Listen to the lawgiver's interpretation in Deuteronomy. And the Lord spoke to you from the midst of the fire. You heard the voice of his words, but you did not see any form at all. And shortly afterwards, keep your souls carefully. You did not see any similitude in the day that the Lord God spoke to you in Horeb from the midst of the fire, lest, perhaps, being deceived, you might make yourself a graven similitude, or an image of male and female, the similitude of any beasts that are upon the earth, or of birds that fly under heaven. And again, lest, perhaps, lifting up your eyes to heaven, you see the sun and the moon and all the stars of heaven, and being deceived by error, you adore and serve them. You see, the one thing to be aimed at is not to adore a created thing more than the Creator, nor to give the worship of Latreia except to him alone. By worship, consequently, he always understands the worship of Latreia, for again he says, You shall not have strange gods other than me. You shall not make to yourself a graven thing, nor any similitude. You shall not adore them, and you shall not serve them, for I am the Lord your God. And again, Overthrow their altars, and break down their statues, burn their groves with fire, and break their idols in pieces. For you shall not adore a strange god. And further, a little further on, You shall not make to yourself gods of metal. You see that he forbids image-making on account of idolatry, and that it is impossible to make an image of the immeasurable, uncircumscribed, invisible God. You have not seen the likeness of him, the scripture says, and this was St. Paul's testimony as he stood in the midst of the Areopagus. Being, therefore, the offspring of God, we must not suppose the divinity to be like unto gold or silver or stone, the graving of art and device of man. These injunctions were given to the Jews on account of their proneness to idolatry. Now, we, on the contrary, are no longer in leading strings. Speaking theologically, it is given to us to avoid superstitious error, to be with God in the knowledge of the truth, to worship God alone, to enjoy the fullness of his knowledge. We have passed the stage of infancy and reached the perfection of manhood. We receive our habit of mind from God and know what may be imaged and what may not. The scripture says, you have not seen the likeness of him. What wisdom in the lawgiver! How depict the invisible! How picture the inconceivable! How give expression to the limitless, the immeasurable, the invisible! How give a form 
to immensity. How paint immortality? How localize mystery? It is clear that when you contemplate God, who is a pure spirit, becoming man for your sake, you will be able to clothe him with the human form. When the invisible one becomes visible to flesh, you may then draw a likeness of his form. When he who is a pure spirit, without form or limit, immeasurable in the boundlessness of his own nature, existing as God, takes upon himself the form of a servant in substance and in stature, and a body of flesh, then you may draw his likeness and show it to anyone willing to contemplate it. Depict his ineffable condescension, his virginal birth, his baptism in the Jordan, his transfiguration on Tabor, his all-powerful sufferings, his death and miracles, the proofs of his Godhead, the deeds which he worked in the flesh through divine power, his saving cross, his sepulchre and resurrection and ascent into heaven. Give to it all the endurance of engraving and color. Have no fear or anxiety. Worship is not all of the same kind. Abraham worshipped the sons of Emor, impious men, in ignorance of God, when he bought the double cave for a tomb. Jacob worshipped his brother Esau and Pharaoh the Egyptian, but on the point of his staff. He worshipped, he did not adore. Joshua and Daniel worshipped an angel of God. They did not adore him. The worship of Latreia is one thing, and the worship which is given to merit another. Now, as we are talking of images and worship, let us analyze the exact meaning of each. An image is a likeness of the original with a certain difference, for it is not an exact reproduction of the original. Thus the sun is the living, substantial, unchangeable image of the invisible God, bearing in himself the whole Father, being in all things equal to him, differing only in being begotten by the Father, who is the begetter. The Son is begotten. The Father does not proceed from the Son, but the Son from the Father. It is through the Son, though not after him, that he is what he is, the Father who generates. In God, too, there are representations and images of his future acts. That is to say, his counsel from all eternity, which is ever unchangeable. That which is divine is immutable. There is no change in him, nor shadow of change. Blessed Dennis, the Carthusian, i.e. Pseudo-Dionysus, who has made divine things in God's presence his study, says that these representations and images are marked out beforehand. In his counsels, God has noted and settled all that he would do, the unchanging future events, even before they came to pass. In the same way, a man who wished to build a house would first make and think out a plan. Again, 
visible things are images of invisible and intangible things, on which they throw a faint light. Holy Scripture clothes in figure God and the angels, and the same holy man explains why. When sensible things sufficiently render what is beyond sense and give a form to what is intangible, a medium would be reckoned imperfect according to our standard if it did not fully represent material vision or if it required effort of mind. If, therefore, Holy Scripture providing for our need, ever putting before us what is intangible, clothes it in flesh, does it not make an image of what is thus invested with our nature and brought to the level of our desires, yet invisible? A certain conception through the senses thus takes place in the, in the brain, which was not there before, and is transmitted to the judicial faculty, the judgment, and added to the mental store. Gregory, who is so eloquent about God, says that the mind, which is set upon getting beyond corporeal things, is incapable of doing it. For the invisible things of God, since the creation of the world, are made visible through images. We see images in creation which remind us faintly of God, as when, for instance, we speak of the holy and adorable Trinity imaged by the sun, or light, or burning rays, or by a running fountain, or by a full river, or by the mind, speech, or the spirit within us, or by a rose tree, or a sprouting flower, or a sweet fragrance. Again, an image is expressive of something in the future, mystically foreshadowing what is to happen. For instance, the ark represents the image of Our Lady, Mother of God. So does the staff and the earthen jar. The serpent brings before us him who vanquished on the cross, the bite of the original serpent. The sea, water, and the cloud, the grace of baptism. Again, things which have taken place are expressed by images for the remembrance either of a wonder or an honor, or dishonor, or good or evil, to help those who look upon it in after times that we may avoid evils and imitate goodness. It is of two kinds, the written image in books, as when God had the law inscribed on tablets, and when he enjoined that the lives of holy men should be recorded and sensible memorials be preserved in remembrance as, for instance, the earthen jar and the staff in the ark. So now we preserve in writing the images and the good deeds of the past. Either, therefore, take away images altogether and be out of harmony with God who made these regulations, or receive them with the language and the manner which befits them. In speaking of the manner, let us go into the question of worship. On Holy Images by St. John Damascene Part 1b Worship is the symbol of veneration 
and of honor. Let us understand that there are different degrees of worship. First, the worship of Latreia, which we show to God, who alone by nature is worthy of worship. When, for the sake of God who is worshipful by nature, we honor his saints and servants, as Joshua and Daniel worshipped an angel, and David his holy places, when he says, Let us go to the place where his feet have stood. Again in his tabernacles, as when all the people of Israel adored in the tent, and standing round the temple in Jerusalem, fixing their gaze upon it from all sides, and worshipping from that day to this, or in the rulers established by him, as Jacob rendered homage to Esau, his elder brother, and to Pharaoh, the divinely established ruler. Joseph was worshipped by his brothers. I am aware that worship was based on honor, as in the case of Abraham and the sons of Emor. Either then, do away with worship, or receive it altogether according to its proper measure. Answer me this question. Is there only one God? You answer, Yes, there is only one lawgiver. Why then does he command contrary things? The cherubim are not outside of creation. Why then does he allow cherubim carved by the hand of man to overshadow the mercy seat? Is it not evident that as it is impossible to make an image of God who is uncircumscribed and impassable, or of one like to God, creation should not be worshipped as God? He allows the image of the cherubim who are circumscribed and prostrate in adoration before the divine throne to be made and thus they prostrate to overshadow the mercy seat. It is fitting that the image of the heavenly choirs should overshadow the divine mysteries. Would you say that the ark and staff and mercy seat were not made? Are they not produced by the hand of man? Are they not due to what you call contemptible matter. What was the tabernacle itself? Was it not an image? Was it not a type and a figure? Hence the holy apostles' words concerning the observances of the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. As it was answered to Moses when he was to finish the tabernacle, See, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown thee on the mount. But the law was not an image. It shrouded the image. In the words of the same apostle, The law contains the shadow of the goods to come, not the image of those things. 
For if the law should forbid images, and yet be itself a forerunner of images, what should we say? If the tabernacle was a figure, and the type of a type, why does the law not prohibit image-making? But this is not in the least the case. There is a time for everything. Of old, God, the incorporeal and uncircumscribed, was never depicted. Now, however, when God is seen, clothed in flesh and conversing with men, I make an image of the God whom I see. I do not worship matter. I worship the God of matter, who became matter for my sake, and deigned to inhabit matter, who worked out my salvation through matter. I will not cease from honoring that matter which works my salvation. I venerate it though not as God. How could God be born out of lifeless things? And if God's body is God by union, it is immutable. The nature of God remains the same as before. The flesh created in time is quickened by a logical and reasoning soul. I honor all matter besides, and venerate it. Through it, filled as it were with a divine power and grace, my salvation has come to me. Was not the thrice happy and thrice blessed wood of the cross matter? Was not the sacred and holy mountain of Calvary matter? What of the life-giving rock, the holy sepulchre, the source of our resurrection. Was it not matter? Is not the most holy book of the Gospels matter? Is not the blessed table matter, which gives us the bread of life? Are not the gold and silver matter, out of which crosses and altar-plate and chalices are made? And before all these things is not the body and blood of our Lord matter? Either do away with the veneration and worship due to these things, or submit to the tradition of the Church in the worship of images, honoring God and His friends, and following in this the grace of the Holy Spirit. Do not despise matter, for it is not despicable. Nothing is that God has made. This is the Manichaean heresy. That alone is despicable which does not come from God, but is our own invention, the spontaneous choice of will to disregard the natural law, that is to say, sin. If, therefore, you dishonor and give up images because they are produced by matter, consider what Scripture says. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Behold, I have called by name Bezaleel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. 
and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding and knowledge in all manner of work, to devise whatsoever may be artificially made of gold and silver and brass, of marble and precious stones, and variety of wood. And I have given him for his companion Uliab, the son of Akizamek, of the tribe of Dan. And I have put wisdom in the heart of every skillful man, that they may make all things which I have commanded thee. And again, Moses said to all the assembly of the children of Israel, This is the word the Lord hath commanded, saying, Set aside with you firstfruits to the Lord. Let every one that is willing and hath a ready heart offer them to the Lord, gold and silver and brass, violet and purple and scarlet twice dyed, and fine linen, goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and violet, colored skins, salem wood, and oil to maintain lights and make ointment, and most sweet incense, onyx stones, and precious stones, for the adorning of the ephod and the rational. Whosoever of you is wise, let him come, and make that which the Lord hath commanded. See you here the glorification of matter, which you make inglorious. What is more insignificant than goat's hair or colors? Are not scarlet and purple and hyacinth colors? Now, consider the handiwork of man becoming the likeness of the cherubim. How, then, can you make the law a pretense for giving up what it orders? If you invoke it against images, you should keep the Sabbath and practice circumcision. It is certain that, if you observe the law, Christ will not profit you. You who are justified in the law you are fallen from grace. Israel of old did not see God, but we see the Lord's glory face to face. We proclaim him also by our senses on all sides, and we sanctify the noblest sense, which is that of sight. The image is a memorial, just what words are to the listening ear. What a book is to the literate, that an image is to the illiterate. The image speaks to the sight as words do to the ear. It brings us understanding. Hence God ordered the ark to be made of imperishable wood, and to be gilded outside and in, and the tablets to be put in it, and the staff and the golden urn containing the manna for a remembrance of the past and a type of the future. Who can say these were not images and far-sounding heralds? And they did not hang on the walls of the tabernacle, but in the sight of all the people who looked toward them, 
They were brought forward for the worship and adoration of God, who made use of them. It is evident that they were not worshipped for themselves, but that the people were led through them to remember past signs and to worship the God of wonders. They were images to serve as recollections, not divine, but leading to divine things by divine power. And God ordered twelve stones to be taken out of the Jordan, and specified why. For he says, When your son asks you the meaning of these stones, tell him how the water left the Jordan by the divine command, and how the ark was saved, and the whole people. How, then, shall we not record an image, in an image, the saving pains and wonders of Christ our Lord, so that when my child asks me, What is this? I may say that God the Word became man, and that for his sake not Israel alone passed through the Jordan, but all the human race gained their original happiness. Through him human nature rose from the lowest depths of the earth higher than the skies, and in his person sat down on the throne his father had prepared for him. But the adversary says, Make an image of Christ, or of his mother who bore him, and let that be sufficient. Oh, what folly this is! On your own showing, you are absolutely against the saints. For if you make an image of Christ, and not of the saints, it is evident that you do not disown images, but the honor of the saints. You indeed make statues of Christ as of one glorified, while you reject the saints as unworthy of honor, and call truth a falsehood. I live, says the Lord, and I will glorify those who glorify me. And the divine apostle, therefore now he is not a servant but a son, and if a son, an heir also through God. Again, if we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified. You are not waging war against images, but against the saints. St. John, who rested on his breast, says that we shall be like to him. Just as a man by contact with fire becomes fire, not by nature, but by contact and by burning and by participation. So it is, I apprehend, with the flesh of the crucified Son of God. That flesh, by participation through union with the divine nature, was unchangeably God. Not in virtue of grace from God, as was the case with each of the prophets, but by the presence of the fountainhead himself. God, the scripture says, stood in the synagogue of the gods, so that the saints too are gods. Holy Gregory takes the words, 
God stands in the midst of the gods, to mean that he discriminates their several merits. The saints in their lifetime were filled with the Holy Spirit, and when they are no more, his grace abides with their spirits, and with the bodies, their bodies in their tombs, and also with their likenesses and holy images. Not by nature, but by grace and divine power. God charged David to build him a temple through his son and to prepare a place of rest. Solomon, in building the temple, made the cherubim, as the Book of Kings says. And he encompassed the cherubim with gold and all the walls in a circle. And he had the cherubim carved and palms inside and out in a circle, not from the sides, be it observed. And there were bulls and lions and pomegranates. Is it not more seemly to decorate all the walls of the Lord's house with holy images and forms, rather than with beasts and plants? Where is the law declaring, Thou shalt not make any graven image? But Solomon, receiving the gift of wisdom, imaging heaven, made the cherubim and likenesses of bulls and lions which the law forbade. Now, if we make an image of Christ and likenesses of the saints, does not their being filled with the Holy Spirit increase the piety of our homage? As then the people in the temple were purified in blood and in burnt offerings, so now the blood of Christ, giving testimony under Pontius Pilate, and being himself the first fruits of the martyrs, the church is built up on the blood of the saints. Then the signs and forms of lifeless animals figured forth the human tabernacle, the martyrs themselves, whom they were preparing for God's abode. We depict Christ as our King and Lord, and do not deprive him of his army. The saints constitute the Lord's army. Let the earthly king dismiss his army before he gives up his king and lord. Let him put off the purple before he takes honor away from his most valiant men who have conquered their passions. For if the saints are heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ, they will also be partakers of the divine glory of sovereignty. If the friends of God have had a part in the sufferings of Christ, how shall they not receive a share of his glory, even on earth? I do not call you servants, our Lord says. You are my friends. Should we, then, deprive them of the honor given to them by the church? What audacity! What boldness of mind to fight God and his commands! You, who refuse to worship images, would not worship the Son of God, the living image of the invisible God and his unchanging form. I worship the image of Christ as the incarnate God, 
that of Our Lady, the mother of us all, as the mother of God's Son, that of the saints, as the friend of God. They have withstood sin unto blood, and followed Christ in shedding their blood for Him, who shed His blood for them. I put on record the excellencies and sufferings of those who have walked in His footsteps, so that I may sanctify myself and be fired with the zeal of imitation. St. Basil says, Honoring the image leads to the prototype. If you raise churches to the saints of God, raise their trophies too. The temple of old was not built in the name of any man. The death of the just was the cause of tears, not of feasting. A man who touched a corpse was considered unclean, even if the corpse was Moses himself. But now the memories of saints are kept with rejoicing. The dead body of Jacob was wept over, while there is joy over the depth of death of Stephen. Therefore, either give up the solemn commemorations of the saints, which are not according to the old law, or accept images, which are also against it, as you say. But it is impossible not to keep with rejoicing the memories of the saints. The holy apostles and the fathers are at one in enjoining them. From the time that God the Word became flesh, He is as we are, in everything except sin, and of our nature, without confusion. He has deified our flesh forever, and we are in very deed sanctified through His Godhead and the union of His flesh with it. And from the time that the Son of God, God, impassable by reason of His Godhead, chose to suffer voluntarily, He wiped out our debt, also paying for us a most full and noble ransom. We are truly free through the sacred blood of the Son pleading for us with the Father. And we are indeed delivered from corruption and decay, since He descended into hell to the souls detained there through centuries, and gave the captives their freedom, sight to the blind, and chaining the strong man. He rose in the fullness of His power, keeping the flesh of immortality which He had taken for us. And since we have been born again of water and the Spirit, we are truly sons and heirs of God. Hence St. Paul calls the faithful holy saints. Hence we do not grieve but rejoice over the death of the saints. We are then no longer under grace, being justified through faith and knowing the one true God. The just man is not bound by the old law. We are not held by the letter of the law, nor do we serve as children. But grown into the perfect estate of man, we are fed on solid food, not on that which conduces to idolatry. 
the law is good, as a light shining in a dark place until the day breaks. Your hearts have already been illuminated. The living water of God's knowledge has run over the tempestuous seas of heathendom, and we may all know God. The old creation has passed away, and all things are made new. The holy apostle Paul said to St. Peter, the chief of the apostles, If you, being a Jew, live as a heathen and not a Jew, how will you persuade heathens to do as Jews do? And to the Galatians, I will bear witness to every circumcised man that it is salutary to fulfill the whole law. Of old, those who did not know God worshipped false gods. But now, knowing God, or rather being known by Him, how can we return to bare and naked rudiments? I have looked upon the human form of God, and my soul has been saved. I gaze upon the image of God as Jacob did, though in a different way. Jacob sounded the note of the future, seeing with immaterial sight, whilst the image of him who is visible to flesh is burnt into my soul. The shadow and the winding sheet and the relics of the apostles cured sickness and put demons to flight. How, then, shall the shadow and it, the statues of the saints not be glorified? Either do away with the worship of all matter, or do not be an innovator. Do not disturb the boundaries of centuries put up by your fathers. End of Part 2 of On Holy Images Of Holy Images by St. John Damascene Part 1c It is not in writing only that they have bequeathed to us the tradition of the Church, but also in certain unwritten examples. In the twenty-seventh book of his work, in thirty chapters addressed to Amphilochius uh, concerning the Holy Spirit, St. Basil says, In the cherished teaching and dogma of the Church, we hold some things by written growth, written documents. Others we have received in mystery from the apostolical tradition. Both are of equal value for the soul's growth. No one will dispute this who has considered even a little the discipline of the church. For if we neglect unwritten customs as not having much weight, we bury in oblivion the most pertinent facts connected with the gospel. These are the great Basil's words. How do we know the holy place of Calvary or the holy sepulchre? Does it not rest on a tradition handed down from father to son? It is written that our Lord was crucified on Calvary and buried in a tomb which Joseph hewed out of the rock. But it is unwritten tradition which identifies these spots and does more things of the same kind. Whence come the three immersions at baptism 
praying with face turned toward the east, and the tradition of the mysteries. Hence St. Paul says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast, and hold the traditions which you have learned, either by word or by our epistle. As then so much has been handed down in the church, and is observed down to the present day, why disparage images? If you bring forward certain practices, they do not inculpate our worship of images, but the worship of heathens who make them idols. Because heathens do it foolishly, this is no reason for objecting to our pious practice. If the same magicians and sorcerers use supplication, so does the church with catechumens. The former invoke devils, but the church calls upon God against devils. Heathens have raised up images to demons, whom they call gods. Now we have raised them to the one incarnate God, to his servants and friends, who are proof against the diabolical hosts. If, again, you object that the great Epiphanius thoroughly rejected images, I would say in the first place the work in question is fictitious and unauthentic. It bears the name of someone who did not write it, which used to be commonly done. Secondly, we know that Blessed and Athanasius objected to the bodies of saints being put into chests, and that he preferred their burial in the ground. But Oh, wishing to set at naught the strange custom of the Egyptians, who did not bury their dead underground, but set them upon beds and couches. Thus, supposing that he really wrote this work, the great Epiphanius, wishing to correct something of the same kind, ordered that images should not be used. The proof that he did not object to images is to be found in his own church, which is adorned with images to this day. Thirdly, the exception is not a law to the church, neither does one swallow make a summer, as it seems to Gregory the theologian and to the truth. Neither can one expression overturn the tradition of the whole church, which is spread throughout the world. Except, therefore, the teaching of scripture and spiritual writers. If the scripture calls the idols of heathen silver and gold and the works of man's hand, it does not forbid the adoration of inanimate things or man's handiwork, but the adoration of demons. We have seen that the prophets worshipped angels and men and kings and the impious and even a staff. David says, and you adore his footstool. Isaiah, speaking in God's name, says, The heavens are my throne, and the earth my footstool. Now it is evident to everyone that the heavens and the earth are created things. Moses, too, with Aaron and all the people, adored the work of hands. St. Paul, the golden grasshopper of the church, says in his epistle to the Hebrews, But Christ being come, a high priest of the good things to come, by a, more perf by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hand, that is, 
not of this creation. And again, for Jesus is not entered into the holies made by hands, the patterns of the true, but into heaven itself. Thus the former holy things, the tabernacle and everything within it, were made by hands, and no one denies that they were adored. End of Part 1C of On Holy Images Part 1D of On Holy Images by St. John Damascene Authentic Testimony of the Ancient Fathers in Favor of Images St. Dennis the Areopagite from his letter to Bishop Titus Instead of attaching the common conception to images, we should look upon what they symbolize, and not despise the divine mark and character which they portray, as sensible images of mysterious and heavenly visions. Commentary Mark that he cautions us not to despise sacred images. The same on the names of God. We have taken the same line. On the one side, through the veiled language of Scripture and the help of oral tradition, intellectual things are understood through sensible ones, and the things above nature by the things that are. Forms are given to what is intangible and without shape, and immaterial perfection is clothed and multiplied in a variety of different symbols. Commentary If it be a good work to clothe with shape and form, according to our standard, that which is formless, shapeless, and without consistency, how shall we not make images to ourselves in the same way of things perceived through form and shape, so that we may bear them in mind and be moved to imitate what they represent? The same on the ecclesiastical hierarchy. Now, if the substances and orders above us, of which we have already made reverent mention, are without bodies, their hierarchy is intellectual and above sense. We supply, by the variety of sensible symbols, the visible order, which is according to our own measure. Those sensible symbols lead us naturally to intellectual conception, to God and His divine attributes. Spiritual minds form their own spiritual conceptions, but we are led to the divine vision by sensible images. Commentary If, then, it be rational that we are led to the divine vision by sensible images, and if divine providence mercifully clothes in form and image that which is without either for our benefit, what is there unseemly about imaging, according to our capacity, him who graciously disguised himself for us in shape and form. A tradition has come down to us that Angaros, king of Edessa, was drawn vehemently to divine love by hearing of our Lord, and that he sent envoys to ask for his likeness. If this were refused, they were ordered to have a likeness painted. Then Jesus, who is all-knowing and all-powerful, is said to have taken a strip of cloth, and pressing it to his face, to have left his likeness upon the cloth, which it retains to this day. 
St. Basil's Sermon to the, on the Martyr St. Barlam Beginning, in the first place, the death of the saints. Arise, you renowned painters of brave deeds, who set forth by your art a faint image of the general. My praise of the laurel-crowned victor is faint compared to the colors of your brush. I will give up writing on the excellencies of the martyr whom you have crowned. I rejoice at the victory won to-day by your strength. I contemplate the hand put out to the flames, more powerfully dealt with by you. I see the structure more clearly depicted on your statue. Let demons be enraged even now, overcome by the martyr's excellencies which you reveal. Let the powerful hand be again outstretched to victory. May Christ our Lord, the supreme judge of the warfare, appear in picture. To him be glory for ever and ever. Amen. From the same, from the thirty chapters to Amphilochios on the Holy Ghost. Chapter 18 The image of the king is also called the king, and there are not two kings in consequence. Neither is power divided, nor is glory distributed. Just as the reigning power over us is one, so is our homage one, not many, and the honor given to the image reaches back to the original. What the image is in the one case as a representation, that the sun is by his humanity, and as in art likeness is according to form, so in the divine and incommensurable nature Union is effected in the indwelling Godhead. Commentary If the image of the king is the king, the image of Christ is Christ, and the image of the, a saint the saint, and if power is not divided nor glory distributed, honoring the image becomes honoring the one who is set forth in the image. Devils have feared the saints and have fled from their shadow. The shadow is an image, and I make an image that I may scare demons. If you say that only intellectual worship befits God, take away all corporeal things, light and fragrance, prayer itself through the physical voice, the very divine mysteries which are offered through matter, bread and wine, the oil of chrism, the sign of the cross. For all this is matter. Take away the cross, and the sponge of the crucifixion, and the spear which pierced the life-giving side. Either give up honoring these things as impossible, or do not reject the veneration of images. Matter is endued with the divine power through prayer made to those who are depicted in image. Purple by itself is simple and so is silk, and the cloak which is made of both. But if the king puts it on, the cloak receives honor from the honor due to the wearer. So it is with matter. By itself it is of no account, but if the one presented in image be full of grace, men become partakers of his grace according to their faith. The apostles knew our Lord with their bodily eyes, Others knew the apostles, others the martyrs. 
I too desire to see them in the spirit and in the flesh, and to possess a saving remedy, as I am a composite being. I see with my eyes, and revere that which represents what I honor, though I do not worship it as God. Now you perhaps are superior to me, and are lifted up above bodily things, and being, as it were, not of flesh, you make light of what is visible. But as I am human and clothed with a body, I desire to see and to be corporeally with the saints. Condescend to my humble words, that you may be secure on your heights. God accepts my longing for him and for the saints. For he rejoices at the praises of his servant, according to the great St. Basil in his panegyric of the Forty Martyrs. Listen to the words which he uttered in honor of the martyr St. Gordian. From St. Basil's Sermon on St. Gordian The mere memory of just deeds is a source of spiritual joy to the whole world. People are moved to imitate the holiness of which they hear. The life of holy men is as a light illuminating the way for those who would see it. And again, when we recount the story of holy lives, we glorify in the first place the Lord of those servants, and we give praise to the servants on account of their testimony, which is known to us. We rejoice the world through good report. Commentary the remembrance of the saints is thus, you see, a glory to God, praise of the saints, joy and salvation to the whole world. Why, then, would you destroy it? This remembrance is kept by preaching and by images, says the same great St. Basil. The same on the martyr St. Gordian. Just as burning follows naturally on fire, and fragrance on sweet ointment, so must good arise from holy actions. For it is no small thing to represent past events according to life. Is it a dim memory of the man's wrestlings which has come down to us? And does not the painter's picture tally with our present conflict? Now, as painters draw images from images, they frequently depart from the original as much as the image itself does. And as we did not see what they represent, there is no little fear that we may injure the truth. The same at the end. The sun fills us with perpetual wonder, though always before us. So the memory of this man is ever fresh. Commentary It is evident that it is fresh, through sermon and image. Testimony of the same, from his Sermon on the Forty Martyrs. Can the lover of the martyrs have too much of their memory? For the honor shown to the just, our fellow men, is a testimony to the goodness of our common Lord. And again, recognize the blessedness of the martyr heartily, that you may be a martyr in will, thus without persecutor or fire or blows, found worthy of the same reward. 
commentary. How then would you dissuade me from honoring the saints, and be envious of my salvation? Listen to what he says a little further on to show that he united the painter's art to oratory. See, then, that setting them before us in representation, we are making them helpful to the living, exhibiting their holiness to us all, as if in a picture. Commentary Do you understand that both image and sermon teach one lesson? He says, Let them show forth in a sermon as if in a picture. And again, Writers and painters point out the struggles of war, the first by the art of style, the second with their brush, and each induce many to be brave. That which a spoken account presents to the hearing, a silent picture presents, portrays for imitation. Commentary What better proof have we that images are the books of the illiterate, the ever-speaking heralds of honoring the saints, teaching those who gaze upon them without words, and sanctifying the spectacle. I have not many books nor time for study, and I go into a church, the common refuge of souls, my mind wearied with conflicting thoughts. I see before me a beautiful picture, and the sight refreshes me and induces me to glorify God. I marvel at the martyr's endurance, at his reward, and fired with burning zeal, I fall down to adore God through his martyr, and receive a grace of salvation. Have you not heard the same Holy Father, in his homily on the beginning of the Psalms, say that the Holy Spirit, knowing that the human race were obstinate and hard to lead, mixed honey with the psalm-singing? What do you say to this? Shall I not perpetuate the martyr's testimony, both by word and paintbrush? Shall I not embrace with my eyes that which is a wonder to the angels and to the whole world, formidable to the devil, a terror to demons, as the same great father says? Again, towards the end of his homily on the forty martyrs, he exclaims, O oh, sainted band, O oh, sacred fraternity, O oh, invincible army, protectors of the human race, solace of the troubled, hope of your petitioners, most powerful intercessors, light of the world, bloom both intellectual and material of the churches. The earth has not hidden you from sight, heaven has received you. May its gates be opened to you. The spectacle is worthy of angels and patriarchs, prophets, and the just, and is just. Commentary How shall I not desire to see what the angels desire? St. Basil's brother, who is one with him in thought, St. Gregory of Nyssa, shares his sentiments. St. Gregory of Nyssa, from the structure of man supplementary. Just as in human fashion the image-makers of the powerful grasp the character of the form, and set forth the royal dignity with the insignia of the purple, and their handiwork is called 
image, or king, so is it with human nature. As it was created to rule over other creations, it was made as an animated type or image, partaking of the original in dignity and name. The same, fifth chapter. The divine beauty is not set forth either in form or comeliness of design or coloring, but is contemplated in speechless blessedness according to its virtue. So do painters transfer human forms to canvas through certain colors, laying on suitable and harmonious tints to the picture, so as to transfer the beauty of the original to the likeness. Commentary You see that the divine beauty is not set forth in form or shape, and on this account it cannot be conveyed by an image. It is the human form which is transferred to canvas by the artist's brush. If, therefore, the Son of God became man, taking the form of a servant, and appearing in man's nature, a perfect man, why should his image not be made? If in common parlance the king's image is called the king, and the honor shown to the image redounds to the original, as holy Basil says, why should the image not be honored and worshipped, not as God, but as the image of God incarnate? The same from his sermon at Constantinople on the Godhead of the Son and of the Spirit, and on Abraham. Then the Father proceeds to bind his Son. I have often seen paintings of this touching scene, and could not look at it with dry eyes, art setting it forth so vividly. Isaac is laying, lying before the altar, his legs bound, his hands tied behind his back, the father approaching the victim, clasping his hair with the left hand, stoops over the face so piteously turned toward him, and holds in his right hand the sword, ready to strike. Already the point of the sword is on the body, when the divine voice is heard, forbidding the consummation. Leo, Bishop of Neapolis in Cyprus, from his book against the Jews, on the adoration of the cross and the statues of the saints, and on relics. If you, Jew, reproach me, saying that I adore the wood of the cross as God, why do you not reproach Jacob, who worshipped on the point of his staff. Now it is evident that he was not worshipping wood. So with us. We are worshipping Christ through the cross, not the wood of the cross. Commentary If we adore the cross, made of whatever wood it may be, how shall we not adore the image of the crucified? From the same Abraham worshipped the impious men who sold him the cave, and bent his knee to the ground, yet did not worship them as gods. Jacob praised Pharaoh, an impious idolater, yet not as God, and he fell down at the feet of Esau, yet did not worship him as God. And again, how does God order us to worship the earth and the mountains? 
Exalt the Lord your God, and worship him upon his holy mountain, and adore his footstool, that is, the earth. For heaven is my throne, he says, and the earth my footstool. How was it that Moses worshipped Jothor, an idolater, and Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar? How can you reproach me? Because I honor those who honor God, and show him service. Tell me, is it not fitting to worship the saints, rather than to throw stones at them, as you do? Is it not right to worship them, rather than to attack them? and to fling your benefactors into the mire? If you loved God, you would be ready to honor his servants also. And if the bones of the just are unclean, why were the bones of Jacob and Joseph brought with all honor from Egypt? How was it that a dead man arose again on touching the bones of Elisha? If God works wonders through bones, it is evident that he can work them through images and stones and many other things, as in the case of Elijah, who gave his staff to his servant, saying, Go with this, and raise from the dead the son of the Sunamite. With his staff Moses chastised Pharaoh, parted the waters, struck the rock, and drew forth the stream. And Solomon said, Blessed is the wood by which justice cometh. Elijah took iron out of the Jordan with a piece of wood. And again, the wood is the wood of life, and the wood of sabak, that is, of remission. Moses humbled the serpent with wood, and saved the people. The blossoming rod in the tabernacle confirmed the priesthood of Aaron. Perhaps, Jew, you will tell me that God prescribed to Moses beforehand all the things of the testimony in the tabernacle. Now I say to you that Solomon made a great variety of things in the temple in carvings and sculpture, which God had not ordered him to do. Nor did the tabernacle of the testimony contain them, nor the temple which God showed to Ezekiel. Nor was Solomon to be blamed in this. He had had these sculptured images made for the glory of God, as we do. You too had many and varied images and signs in the Old Testament to serve as a reminder of God, if you had not lost them through ingratitude. For instance, the rod of Moses, the tablets of the law, the burning bush, the rock giving forth water, the ark containing manna, the altar set on fire from above, the lamina bearing the divine name, the ephod, the tabernacle overshadowed by God. If you had prepared all these things by day and by night, saying, Glory be to you, O Almighty God, who has done wonders in Israel through all these things. If through all these ordinances of the law carried out of old you had fallen on your knees to adore God, you would see that worship is given to him by images. And further on, 
He who truly loves a friend or the king, and especially his benefactor, if he sees that benefactor's son, or his staff, or his chair, or his crown, or his house, or his servant, he holds them fast in his embrace. And if he honors his benefactor, the king, how much more God! Again I repeat it. Would that you had made images according to the law of Moses and the prophets, and that day by day you had worshipped the God of images. Whenever, then, you see Christians adoring the cross, know that they are adoring the crucified Christ, not the mere wood. If, indeed, they honored wood as wood, they would be bound to worship trees of whatever kind. As you, O Israel, worshipped them of old, saying to the tree and to the stone, You are my God, and did bring me forth. We do not speak either to the cross or to the representations of the saints in this way. They are not our gods, but books which lie open and are venerated in churches in order to remind us of God and to lead us to worship Him. He who honors the martyr honors God, to whom the martyr bore testimony. He who worships the apostle of Christ worships him who sent the apostle. He who falls at the feet of Christ's mother most certainly shows honor to her son. There is no God but one, he who is known and adored in the Trinity. Commentary Who is the faithful interpreter of blessed Epiphanius? Leontius, whose teaching adorned the island of Cyprus? or those who spoke according to their own conceits. Listen to the testimony of Severianus, Bishop of the Gabali. Severianus, Bishop of the Gabali, on the dedication of the cross. How it was it that the image of the enemy gave life to our progenitors? How was it that the image of the serpent worked salvation to the people in distress? Would it not have been more reasonable to say, If any of you be bitten, let him look up to heaven, to God, and he shall be saved? Or, let him look towards the tabernacle of God? Passing over this, he set up the image of the cross alone. Why did Moses do this, who said to the people, You shall not make to yourself a graven thing, nor the likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath, nor of those things that are in the waters under the earth. However, why do I speak to unworthy people? Tell me, devout servant of God, will you do what is forbidden, or disregard what you are told to do? He who said, You shall not make to yourself a graven thing, condemned the golden calf, and you make a brazen serpent, and this not secretly but most openly, so that it is known to all? Moses answers, I laid down that commandment in order to root out impiety and to withdraw the people from all apostasy and idolatry. Now I have the serpent cast for a good purpose, as a figure of the truth, 
and just as I have put up a tabernacle, and everything in it, and cherubim, the likeness of the invisible powers, over the holy of holies as a sign and figure of the future, so I have set up a serpent for the salvation of the people, to serve as a preliminary to the image of the cross, and the redemption contained in it. As a confirmation of this, listen to the Lord, saying, As Moses exalted the serpent in the desert, so must you exalt the Son of Man, that every one believing in him may not be lost, but may have eternal life. Commentary Notice that his commandment not to make any graven thing was given to draw the people from idolatry, to which they were prone, and that the brazen serpent was an image of the Lord's suffering. Listen to what I am going to say as a proof that images are no new invention. It is an ancient practice well known to the best and foremost of the fathers. Eladios, the disciple of blessed Basil and his successor, says in his life of Basil that the holy man was standing by the image of Our Lady, on which was painted also the likeness of Mercurius, the renowned martyr. He was standing by it, asking for the removal of the impious apostate Julian, and he received this revelation from the statue. He saw the martyr vanish for a time, and then reappear holding a bloody spear. Taken word for word from the life of St. John Chrysostom. Blessed John loved the epistles of St. Paul exceedingly. He had an image of the apostle in a place where he was wont to retire now and then on account of his physical weakness for he outdid nature in watchings and vigils. As he read through St. Paul's epistles, he had the image before him, and spoke to the apostle as if he had been present, praising him and directing all his thoughts to him. When Proclus had finished speaking, gazing intently at the image of the apostle, and recognizing the likeness to the man he had seen, saluting John, he said, pointing to the image, Forgive me, Father, the man I saw talking to you is very like this statue. In fact, I should say he is the same. In the life of St. Eupraxia, we are told that her superior showed her the likeness of our Lord. We read in the life of St. Mary of Egypt that she prayed before the statue of Our Lady and besought her intercession, and so obtained leave to enter the church. In all the past array of Christian priests and kings, wise and pious, conspicuous by teaching and example, in so many councils of holy and inspired fathers, how is it that no one has pointed out these things? We are not advocating a new faith. The law shall come out of Sion, the Holy Ghost said prophetically, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. We do not advocate one thing at one time and another at another, nor that the faith should become a laughing-stock to those outside. We will not allow the king's commands to overturn the tradition handed down from the fathers. It is not for pious kings to overturn ecclesiastical boundaries. 
These are not patristic ways. Things done by force are impositions, and do not carry persuasion. A proof of this was given in the Second Council of Ephesus, when a decree which has never been recognized as valid was enforced by the emperor's hand, and blessed Flavian was put to death. Councils do not belong to kings. As the Lord says, Whenever one or two are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Christ did not give kings the power to bind and loose, but the apostles and their successors and pastors and teachers. If an angel were to teach you a different gospel to what you have received, St. Paul says, but we will be silent about what follows, in the hope of their conversion. And if we find the warning disregarded, which may God avert, we will then add the rest. Let us hope it will not be needed. If anyone should enter a house, and should see on the walls a history in painting of Moses and Aaron, perchance he might ask about the people who are walking across the sea, as if it were dry land. Who are they? he asks. What would you say? Are they not the sons of Israel? Who is dividing the sea with his rod? Would you not say, Moses? So if a man makes an image of Christ crucified, and you are asked who he is, you reply, It is Christ our Lord, who became incarnate for us. Yes, O Lord, we adore all that belongs to thee, and we take to our hearts thy Godhead, thy power and goodness, thy mercy towards us, thy condescension and thy incarnation. And as men fear touching red-hot iron, not because of the iron, but because of the heat, so do we worship thy flesh, not for the nature of flesh, but through the Godhead united to that flesh according to substance. We worship thy sufferings. Who has ever known death worshipped or suffering venerated? Yet we truly worship the physical death of our God and his saving sufferings. We adore your image and all that is yours, your servants, your friends, and most of all, your mother, the mother of God. We beseech, therefore, the people of God, the faithful flock, to hold fast to the ecclesiastical traditions. The gradual taking away of what has been handed down to us would be undermining the foundation stones, and would in no short time overthrow the whole structure. May we prove steadfast, unflinching, immovable, founded on the solid rock which is Christ, on whom be praise and glory, and worship, with the Father and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. End of Part 1 of the Book on Holy Images Of Holy Images by St. John Damascene Part 2 I crave your indulgence, my readers, 
and ask you to receive the true statement of one who is an unprofitable servant, the least of all in the Church of God. I have not been moved to speak by motives of vainglory. God is my witness, but by zeal for the truth. In this alone is my hope of salvation, and with it I trust and pray to go out to meet Christ our Lord, asking that it may be an expiation for my sins. The man who received five talents from his Lord brought five more which he had gained, and the man with two, two more. The man who received one and buried it gave it back without interest, and being pronounced a wicked servant was banished into external darkness. Lest I should suffer the same way, I obey God's commands, and with the talent of eloquence, which is his gift, I put before the wise among you a treasure-table, so that when the Lord comes he may find me rich in souls, a faithful servant whom he may take into that ineffable joy of his, which is my desire. Give me listening ears and willing hearts. Receive my treatise, and ponder well the force of the arguments. This is the second part of my work on images. Certain children of the church have urged me to do it, because the first part was not sufficiently clear to all. Be indulgent with me on this account for my obedience. The wicked servant of old, beloved, I mean the devil, is wont to wage war in many ways against man who is made in God's image, and to work his destruction through opposition. In the very beginning he inspired man with the hope and desire of becoming a god, and through that desire he dragged man down to share the death of the brute creation. He has enticed man also by shameful and brutal pleasures. What a contrast between becoming a god and feeling brutal lust! And again, he led man into infidelity, as the royal David says. The fool said in his heart, There is no god. At one time he has brought man to worship too many gods, at another not even the true god, sometimes demons, and again the heavens and the earth, the sun and moon and stars, and the rest of creation, wild beasts and reptiles. It is as bad to refuse due honor where honor is due as to give it where it is not due. Again, he has taught some to call the uncreated God evil, and has deceived others by making them recognize God, who is good by nature, as the author of evil. Some he has deceived by the misconception of one nature and one substance of the Godhead. Some he has induced to honor three natures and three substances. Some one substance in our Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, some two natures and two substances. But the truth, taking a middle course, sweeps away these misconceptions, and teaches us to acknowledge one God, one nature in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
evil is not a being, but an accident, a certain conception, word, or deed against the law of God, taking its origin in this conception, speech, or doing, and ending with it. The truth proclaims also that in Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, there are two natures and one person. Now, the devil, the enemy of the truth and of man's salvation, in suggesting that images of corruptible man and of birds and beasts and reptiles should be made and worshipped as gods, has often led astray not only heathens but the children of Israel. In these days he is eager to trouble the peace of Christ's church through false and lying tongues, using divine words in favor of what is evil, and striving to disguise his wicked intent, and drawing the unstable away from true and patristic custom. Some have risen up and said that it was wrong to represent and set forth publicly for adoration the saving wounds of Christ and the combats of the saints against the devil, who, with the knowledge of divine things and a spiritual sense, does not perceive in this a deception of the devil. He is unwilling that his shame should be known, and that the glory of God and of his saints should be published. If we made an image of the invisible God, we should in truth do wrong for it is impossible to make a statue of one who is without body, invisible, boundless, and formless. Again, if we made statues of men and held them to be gods, worshipping them as such, we should be most impious. But we do neither, for in making the image of God, who became incarnate and visible on earth, a man amongst men, through his unspeakable goodness, taking upon him shape and form and flesh, we are not misled. We long to see what he was like. As the divine apostle says, we see now in a glass, darkly. The image, too, is a dark glass, according to the denseness of our bodies. The mind, in much travail, cannot rid itself of bodily things. Shame on you, wicked devil, for grudging us the sight of our Lord's likeness and our sanctification through it. You would not have us gaze at his saving sufferings, nor wonder at his condescension, nor contemplate his miracles, nor praise his almighty power. You grudge the saints the honor God gives them. You would not have us see their glory put on record, nor allow us to become imitators of their fortitude and faith. We will not obey your suggestions, wicked and man-hating devil. Listen to me, people of all nations, men, women, and children, all of you who bear the Christian name. If anyone preach to you something contrary to what the Catholic Church has received from the holy apostles and the fathers and the councils, and has kept down to the present day, do not heed him. Do not receive the serpent's counsel as Eve did, to whom it was death. 
if an angel or an emperor teaches you anything contrary to what you have received, shut your ears. I have refrained so far from saying as the holy apostle said, Let him be anathema, in the hope of amendment. But those say, who do not enter into the mind of Scripture, God said through Moses the lawgiver, You shall not make to yourself the likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath. And through the prophet David, Let them be all confounded that adore graven things and that glory in their idols. And many similar passages. Whatever they have quoted from Holy Scripture and the Fathers is to the same intent. Now what shall we say to these things? What if not that which God spoke to the Jews? Search the Scriptures. It is good to examine the Scriptures, but let your mind be enlightened from the search. It is impossible, beloved, that God should not speak truth. There is one God, one lawgiver of the old and new dispensation, who spoke of old in many ways to the patriarchs through the prophets, and in these latter times through his only begotten Son. Apply your mind with discernment. It is not I who is speaking. The Holy Ghost declared by the Holy Apostle St. Paul that God spoke of old in many different ways to the patriarchs through the prophets. Note, in many different ways. A skillful doctor does not prescribe invariably for all alike, but for each according to his state. Taking into consideration climate and complaint, season and age, giving one remedy to a child, another to a grown man according to his age, one thing to a weak patient, another to a strong, and to each sufferer the right thing for his state and malady. One thing in the summer, another in the winter, another in the spring and autumn, and in each place according to its requirements. So in the same way the good physician of souls prescribed for those who were still children and inclined to the sickness of idolatry, holding idols to be gods and worshipping them as such, neglecting the worship of God and preferring the creature to his glory. He charged them not to do this. It is impossible to make an image of God, who is a pure spirit, invisible, boundless, having neither form nor circumscription. How can we make an image of what is invisible? No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. And again, no one shall see my face and live, says the Lord. That they did worship idols, there is no doubt from what the Scripture says about the going out of the children of Israel, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai and persevered in prayer to God. Whilst receiving the law, the ungrateful people rose against Aaron, the priest of God, saying, Make us gods who may go before us. 
for as to Moses, we do not know what has befallen him. Then, when they had looked over the trinkets of their wives and brought them together, they ate and drank, and were inebriated with wine and madness, and began to make merry, saying in their foolishness, These are your gods, O Israel. Do you see that they made gods of idols who were demons, and that they worshipped the creature instead of the Creator? As the Holy Apostle says, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the likeness of the image of a corruptible man, and of birds, and of four-footed beasts, and of creeping things, and served the creature rather than the Creator. On this account God forbade them to make any graven image, as Moses says in Deuteronomy. And the Lord spoke to you from the midst of the fire. You heard the voice of his words, but you did not see any form at all. And a little further on, Keep therefore your souls carefully. You saw not any similitude in the day that the Lord God spoke to you in Horeb from the midst of the fire, lest, perhaps, being deceived, you might make you a graven similitude or image of male or female, the similitude of any beasts that are upon the earth, or of birds that fly under heaven. And again, lest perhaps lifting up thy eyes to heaven you see the sun and the moon and all the stars of heaven, and being deceived by error you adore and serve them. You see, the one object in view is that the creature should not be worshipped instead of the Creator, and that the worship of Latreia should be given to God alone. Thus in every case when he speaks of worship he means Latreia. Again, You shall not have strange gods in my sight. You shall not make to yourself a graven thing, nor any likeness. Again, You shall not make to yourself gods of metal. You see that he forbids image-making on account of idolatry, and that it is impossible to make an image of God who is a spirit invisible and uncircumscribed. You have not seen his likeness, he says. And St. Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, says, Being therefore the offspring of God, we must not suppose the divinity to be like unto gold or silver or stone, the graving of art, a device of man. Listen again that it is so. You shall not make to yourself any brazen thing, nor any likeness. These things, he said, they made by God's commandment. A hanging of violet, purple, scarlet, and fine twisted linen in the entrance of the tabernacle, and the cherubim in woven work. And they made also the propitiatory, that is, the oracle of the purest gold, and the two cherubim. What will you say to this, O Moses? You say you shall not make to yourself any graven thing or any likeness, and you yourself fashion cherubim of woven work and two cherubim of pure gold? 
Listen to the answer of God's servant Moses. You blind and foolish people, mark the force of what is said, and keep your souls carefully. I said that you had seen no likeness on the day when the Lord spoke to you on Mount Horeb, in the midst of the fire, lest you should sin against the law and make for yourself a brazen likeness. You shall not make any image or gods of metal. I never said, You shall not make the image of cherubim in adoration before the propitiatory. What I said was, You shall not make to yourself gods of metal, and you shall not make any likeness as of God, nor shall you adore the creature instead of the Creator, or any creature whatsoever as God, nor have I served the creature rather than the Creator. Note how the object of Scripture becomes clear to those who really search it. You must know, beloved, that in every business truth and falsehood are distinguished and the object of the doer, whether it be good or bad. In the Gospel we find all things, good and evil. God, the angels, man, the heavens, earth, water, fire, and air, the sun, the moon, and the stars, light and darkness, Satan and the devils, the serpent and scorpions, death and hell, virtues and vices. And because everything told about them is true, and the object in view is the glory of God and the saints whom he has honored, our salvation and the shame of the devil, we worship and embrace and love these utterances, and receive them with our whole heart as we do the whole of the old and new dispensation, and all the spoken testimony of the Holy Fathers. Now, we reject the evil, abominable writings of heathens and Manichaeans and all other heretics, as containing foolishness and lies, promoting the advantage of Satan and his demons, and giving them pleasure, although they contain the name of God. So with regard to images, we must manifest the truth, and take into account the intention of those who make them. If it be in very deed for the glory of God and of his saints, to promote goodness, to avoid evil, and save souls, we should love and embrace them with hand and heart, as reminders of the incarnate God, or his mother, or of the saints, the participators in the sufferings and glory of Christ, the conquerors and overthrowers of Satan, and diabolical fraud. We should receive and honor and worship them as images and remembrances, likenesses, and the books of the illiterate. If anyone should dare to make an image of Almighty God, who is pure spirit, invisible, uncircumscribed, we reject it as a falsehood. If anyone make images for the honor and worship of the devil and his angels, we abhor them and deliver them to the flames. Uh, or if anyone give divine honors to the statues of men, or birds, or reptiles, or any other created thing, we anathematize him. As our forefathers in the faith pulled down the temples of demons, 
and erected on the same spot churches dedicated to saints whom we honor. So they overturned the statues of demons and set up instead the images, the sixty-eight images of Christ, his holy mother, and the saints. Even in the old dispensation, Israel neither raised temples to human beings nor held sacred the memory of man. At that time Adam's race was under a curse, and death was a penalty, therefore a mourning. A corpse was looked upon as unclean, and the man who touched it as contaminated. But since the Godhead has taken to himself our nature, it has become glorified as a vivifying and efficacious remedy, and has been transformed into immortality. Thus the death of the saints is a rejoicing, and churches are raised to them and their images set up. Be assured that anyone wishing to pull down an image erected out of pure zeal for the glory and enduring memory of Christ, or of his holy mother, or of any of the saints, to put the devil and his satellites to shame. Anyone, I say, refusing to honor and worship this image as sacred, it is not to be worshipped as God, is an enemy of Christ, of his blessed mother, and of the saints, and is an advocate of the devil and his crew, showing grief by his conduct that the saints are honored and glorified, and the devil put to shame. The image is a hymn of praise, a manifestation, a lasting token of those who have fought and conquered, and of demons humbled and put to flight. End of Part 2A of On Holy Images On Holy Images by St. John Damascene Part 2B Kings have no call to make laws in the church. What does the holy apostle say? And God indeed has set some in the church, first apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly doctors and shepherds for the teaching of the church. He does not say kings. And again, obey your prelates and be subject to them for they watch, as being made to render an account of your souls. Again, remember your prelates who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the end of your conversation. Kings have not spoken the word to you, but apostles and prophets, pastors and teachers. When God was speaking to David about building a house for him, he said, you shall not build me a house, for you are a man of blood. Render therefore to all men their dues, St. Paul exclaimed. Tribute to whom tribute is good due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Political prosperity is the king's business. The ecclesiastical organization belongs to pastors and teachers, and to take it out of their hands is to commit an act of robbery. Saul rent Samuel's cloak, and what was the consequence? 
God took from him his royalty and gave it to the meek David. Jezebel pursued Elijah. Pigs and dogs licked up her blood, and harlots were bathed in it. Herod removed John and was consumed by worms. And now, holy Germanus, shining by word and example, has been punished and become an exile, and many more bishops and fathers whose names are unknown to us. Is not this a persecution? When the Pharisees and the learned surrounded our Lord ostensibly to listen to his teaching, and when they asked him if it was lawful to pay tribute to Caesar, he answered them, Bring me a coin. And when they had brought it, he said, Whose image is this? Upon their reply, Caesar's. He said, Give to Caesar that which is Caesar's, and to God with that which is God's. We are obedient to you, king in things concerning our daily life, in tributes, taxes, and payments, which are your due. But in ecclesiastical government, we have our pastors, preachers of the word, and exponents of ecclesiastical law. We do not change the boundaries marked out by our fathers. We keep the tradition we have received. If we begin to lay down the law, to the church, even in the smallest thing, the whole edifice will fall to the ground in no short time. You look down upon matter and call it contemptible. That is what the Manichaeans did. But Holy Scripture pronounces it to be good, for it says, And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. I say, matter is God's creation and a good thing. Now, if you say it is bad, you say either that it is not from God, or you make God a cause of evil. Listen to the words of Scripture concerning matter, which you despise. And Moses said to all the assembly of the children of Israel, This is the word the Lord has commanded, saying, Set aside with you first fruits to the Lord. Let every one that is willing and has a ready heart offer them to the Lord. Gold and silver and brass, violet and purple, and scarlet twice dyed, and fine linen, goat's hair, and ram skin dyed red, and violet, and colored skins, Salem wood, and oil to maintain lights and to make ointment, and most sweet incense onyx stones and precious stones for the adorning of the ephod and the rationale. Whoever of you is wise, let him come and make that which the Lord has commanded, to wit, the tabernacle, etc. Behold, then, matter is honored, and you dishonor it. What is more insignificant than goat's hair or colors, and are not violet and purple and scarlet? colors, and the likeness of the cherubim are the work of man's hand, and the tabernacle itself from first to last was an image. Look, said God to Moses, 
and make it according to the pattern that was shown thee in the mount. And the tabernacle was adored by the people of Israel in a circle. And as to the cherubim, were not they in the sight of the people? And did not the people look at the ark, and the lamps, and the table, and the golden urn, and the staff, and adore? It is not matter which I adore. It is the Lord of matter, becoming matter for my sake, taking up his abode in matter, and working out my salvation through matter. For the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It is evident to all that flesh is matter, and that it is created. I reverence and honor matter, and worship that which has brought about my salvation. I honor it not as God, but as a channel of divine strength and grace. Was not the thrice-blessed wood of the cross matter, and the sacred and holy mountain of Calvary? Was not the holy sepulchre matter, the life-giving stone, the source of our resurrection? Was not the book of the Gospels matter, and the holy table which gives us the bread of life? Are not gold and silver matter, of which crosses and holy pictures and chalices are made? And above all, is not the Lord's body and blood composed of matter? Either reject the honor and worship of all these things, or conform to ecclesiastical traditions, sanctifying the worship of images in the name of God and of God's friends, and so obeying the grace of the Divine Spirit. If you give up images on account of the law, you should also keep the Sabbath and be circumcised, for these are severely inculcated by it. You should observe all the law, and not celebrate the Lord's Passover outside of Jerusalem. But you must know that if you do observe the law, Christ will profit you nothing. You are ordered to marry your brother's wife, and so carry on his name, and not to sing the song of the Lord in a strange land. Enough of this. Those who have been justified by the law have fallen from grace. Let us set forth Christ, our King and Lord, not depriving him of his army. The saints are his army. Let the earthly king strip himself of his army, and then of his own dignity. Let him put off the purple and the diadem, before he take honor away from his most valiant men who have conquered their passions. For if the friends of Christ are heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ, and are to be partakers of the divine glory and kingdom, is not even earthly glory due to them? I do not call you servants, says our Lord, you are my friends. Shall we, then, withhold from them the honor which the church gives them? You are a bold and venturesome man to fight against God and his ordinances. If you do not worship images, you do not worship the Son of God, who is the living image of the invisible God, 
and the immutable figure of his substance. The temple which Solomon built was consecrated by the blood of animals and decorated by images of lions, oxen, and the palms and pomegranates. Now the church is consecrated by the blood of Christ and of his saints, and it is adorned with the image of Christ and of his saints. Either take away the worship of images altogether, and be not an innovator, and pass not beyond the ancient boundaries which your fathers have set. I am not speaking of boundaries prior to the incarnation of Christ our Lord, but since his coming. God spoke to them, depreciating the traditions of the old law, saying, I also gave them statutes which were not good, on account of their hardness of heart. Consequently, on the change of priesthood, the law of necessity was also changed. The eyewitnesses and ministers of the word handed down the teaching of the church, not only by writing, but also by unwritten tradition. From where comes our knowledge of the sacred spot, Mount Calvary, or of the Holy Sepulchre? Has it not been handed down to us from father to son? Is It is written that our Lord was crucified on Calvary and buried in the tomb which Joseph hewed out of the rock. But it is unwritten tradition that teaches us we are adoring the right places, and many other things of the same kind. Why do we believe in three baptisms, that is, in three immersions? Why do we adore the cross? Is it not through tradition? Therefore the holy apostle says, Brethren, stand fast, and hold the traditions which you have learned, whether by word or by our epistle. Many things, therefore, being handed down to the church by unwritten tradition, and kept up to the present day, why do you speak slightingly of images? The Manichaeans followed a gospel according to Thomas, and you will follow that according to Leo. I do not admit an emperor's tyrannical action in domineering over the church. The emperor has not received the power to bind and loose. I know of the emperor Valens, a Christian in name who persecuted the true faith, Zeno and Anastasius, Heraclius and Constantine of Sicily, and Vardaniscus called Philip. I am not to be persuaded that the church is set in order by imperial edicts, but it is set by patristic traditions, written and unwritten. As the written gospel has been preached in the whole world, so it has been an unwritten tradition in the whole world to represent in image Christ the incarnate God, and the saints, to adore the cross, and to pray towards the east. The customs which you bring forward do not incriminate our worship of images, but that of the heathens who make idols of them. 
The pious practice of the church is not to be rejected because of heathen abuse. Sorcerers and magicians exercise. The church exercises catechumens. The former invoke demons. The church calls upon God against demons. Heathens sacrificed to demons. Israel offered to God both holocausts and victims. The church, too, offers an unbloody sacrifice to God. Heathens set up images to demons, and Israel made idols of them in the words, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Now we have set up images to the true God incarnate, to his servants and friends who have put the demon host to flight. If you say to this that blessed Epiphanius clearly rejected our use of images, you must know that the work in question is spurious and written by someone else in the name of Epiphanius, as often happens. A father does not fight his own children. All have become participators in the one spirit. The church is a witness of this in adoring images, until some men rose up against her and disturbed the peace of Christ's fold, putting poison food before the people of God. If I venerate and worship, as the instruments of salvation, the cross and lance, and reed and sponge, by means of which the Jews scorned and put to death my Lord, Shall I not also worship images that Christians make with a good intention for the glory and remembrance of Christ? If I worship the image of the cross, made of whatever wood it may be, shall I not worship the image which shows me the crucified and my salvation through the cross? Oh, inhumanity of man! It is evident that I do not worship matter, for supposing the cross, if it be made of wood, should fall to pieces, I should throw them into the fire, and the same with images. Receive the united testimony of Scripture and the Fathers to show you that images and their worship are no new invention, but the ancient tradition of the Church. In the Holy Gospel of St. Matthew, our Lord called his disciples blessed, and with them all those who followed their example and walked in their footsteps, in these words, Blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For, amen, I say to you, many prophets and just men have desired to see the things that you see, and have not seen them, and to hear the things which you hear, and have not heard them. We also desire to see as much as we may. We see now in a glass darkly, and an image, and we are blessed. God himself first made an image and showed forth images, for he made the first man after his own image. And Abraham, Moses, and Isaiah, and all the prophets saw images of God not the substance of God. The burning bush was an image of God's mother, and as Moses was about to approach it, God said, 
Take off the shoes from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Now, if the spot on which Moses saw an image of Our Lady was holy, how much more the image itself? And not only is the image holy, but I venture to say it is the holy of holies. When the Pharisees asked our Lord why Moses had allowed a bill of divorce, he answered, On account of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife. But in the beginning it was not so. And I say to you that Moses, through the children of Israel's hardness of heart, and knowing their proclivity to idolatry, forbade them to make images. We are not in the same case. We have taken a firm footing on the rock of faith, being enriched with the light of God's friendship. Listen to our Lord's words. You foolish and blind, whoever shall swear by the temple swears by it, and by him that dwells in it. And he that swears by heaven swears by the throne of God, and by him that sits thereon. And he who swears by an image swears by the one whom it represents. It has been sufficiently proved that the tabernacle, the veil, the ark, and the table, and everything within the tabernacle, were images and types, and the works of man's hand, which were worshipped by all Israel, and also that the cherubim in carving were made by God's order. For God said to Moses, See that you do all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mount. Listen, too, to the Apostles' testimony that Israel worshipped images and the handiwork of man in obedience to God. If, then, he were on earth, he would not be a priest, seeing that there would be others to offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as it was answered to Moses when he was, when he was to finish the tabernacle. See says he, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mount. But now he hath obtained a better ministry, by how much also he is a mediator of a better testament, which is established on better promises. For if that former had been faultless, there should not indeed be a place then should not indeed a place have been sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the day shall come, says the Lord, and I will perfect unto the house of Israel and unto the house of Judah a new testament, not according to the testament I made to their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. And a little bit further on, now in saying anew, he has made the former old, and that which decays and grows old is near its end. For there was a tabernacle made the first, wherein were the candlesticks and the table and the setting forth of loaves, which is called the holy. And after the second veil, the tabernacle which is called the holy of holies, having a golden censer, and the Ark of the Testament covered about on every part with gold, in which was a golden pot that had manna, 
and the rod of Aaron, which had blossomed, and the tables of the testament. And over it were the cherubims of glory, overshadowing the propitiatory. And again, For Jesus is not entered into the holies made with hands, the patterns of the true, but into heaven itself. And again, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, not the very image of the things. You see that the law, and everything it ordained, and all our own worship, consist in the consecration of what is made by hands, leading us through matter to the invisible God. Now, the law and all its ordinances were a foreshadowing of the image in the future, that is, our worship. And our worship is an image of the eternal reward. As to the thing itself, the heavenly Jerusalem, it is invisible and immaterial, as the same divine apostle says. We have not here an abiding city, but we seek for the one above, the heavenly Jerusalem, of which God is Lord and Architect. All ordinances of the law and of our worship have been directed for that heavenly city. To God be praised forever. Amen. End of Part 2b On Holy Images by St. John Damascene Part 2c Testimony of Ancient and Learned Fathers to Images St. John Chrysostom, from his commentary on the parable of the sower. If you despise the royal garment, do you not despise the king himself? Do you not see that if you despise the image of the king, you despise the original? Do you not know that if a man shows contempt for an image of wood or a statue of metal, he is not judged as if he had vented himself on lifeless matter, as showing contempt for the king? Dishonor shown to an image of the king is dishonor shown to the king. The same, from his sermon to St. Meletius, Bishop of Antioch, and on the zeal of his hearers, beginning, casting his eyes everywhere on this holy flock. What took place was most edifying, and we ought always to bear this consolation in mind, and to have this saint before our eyes, whose name was invoked against every bad passion and specious argument. This was so much the case that streets, market-place, fields, every nook and corner rang with his name. Not only have you longed to invoke him, but to look upon his bodily form. As with his name, so with his image. Many people have put it on their rings and goblets and cups and on their bedroom walls, so as not only to hear his history, but to look upon his physical likeness and to have a double consolation in his loss. St. Maximus, philosopher and confessor, from his acts and those of Bishop Theodosius, and after this all rose with tears of devotion, and kneeling down prayed, 
and everyone kissed the holy gospels and the sacred cross and the image of our lord and saviour jesus christ and of our lady his immaculate mother putting their hands to it in confirmation of what had been said blessed anastasius archbishop of theopolis on the sabbath to simeon bishop of bostris as in the king's absence his image is honored instead of himself so in his presence it would be unseemly to leave the original for the image this is not to say that what is passed over in his presence should be dishonored dot 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 as the man who shows disrespect to the king's image is punished as if he had shown it to the king in very deed although the image is composed merely of wood and paint molded together so one who shows disrespect to the likeness of a man means it for the original of the likeness end of part 2c end of part 2 on holy images by saint john damascene part 3 everyone must recognize that a man who attempts to dishonor an image which has been set up for the glory and remembrance of christ of his holy mother or of one of his saints is an enemy of christ of his holy mother and of the saints it is also set up to shame the devil and his crew out of love and zeal for god the man who refuses to give this image due though not divine honor is an upholder of the devil and his demon host showing by his act grief that god and the saints are honored and glorified and that the devil is put to shame the image is a canticle and manifestation and monument to the memory of those who have fought bravely and won the victory to the shame and confusion of the vanquished i have often seen lovers gazing at the loved one's garment and embracing it with eyes and mouth as if it was the one they loved we must give his due to every man st paul says honor to whom honor to the king as excelling or to governors as sent by him to each according to the measure of his dignity where do you find in the old testament or in the gospel the trinity or consubstantiality or one godhead or three persons or the one substance of christ or his two natures expressed in so many words still as they are contained in what scripture does say and defined by the holy fathers we receive them and anathematize those who do not receive them i prove to you that in the old law god commanded images to be made first of all the tabernacle and everything in it then in the gospel our lord himself said to those who asked him tempting whether it was lawful to give tribute to caesar bring me a coin he said and they showed him a penny and he asked them 
whose likeness it was. And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said, Give to Caesar that which is Caesar's, and to God that which is God's. As the coin bears the likeness of Caesar, it is his, and you should give it to Caesar. So the image bears the likeness of Christ, and you should give it him, for it is his. Our Lord called his disciples blessed, saying, Many kings and prophets have desired to see what you see, and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear, and have not heard it. Blessed are your eyes which see, and your ears which hear. The apostles saw Christ with their bodily eyes, and his sufferings and wonders, and they listened to his words. We too desire to see and to hear and to be blessed. They saw him face to face as he was present in the body. Now, since he is not present in the body to us, we hear his words from books and are sanctified in spirit by the hearing and are blessed and we adore, honoring the books which tell us of his words. So, through the representation of images, we look upon his bodily form and upon his miracles and his sufferings and are sanctified and satiated, gladdened and blessed. Reverently we worship his bodily form and, contemplating it, we form some notion of his divine glory. For as we are composed of soul and body, and our soul does not stand alone, but is, as it were, shrouded by a veil, it is impossible for us to arrive at intellectual conceptions without corporeal things, just as we listen with our bodily ears to physical words and understand spiritual things, so through corporeal vision we come to the spiritual. On this account Christ took a body and a soul, as man has both one and the other. And baptism likewise is double, of water and of the Spirit. So is communion and prayer and psalmody. Everything has a double signification, a corporeal and a spiritual. Thus again with lights and incense. The devil has tolerated all these things, raising a storm against images alone. His great jealousy of them may be learned by what St. Sophronius, Patriarch of Jerusalem, recounts in his spiritual garden. Abbot Theodore Eliotes told of a holy hermit in the Mount of Olives, who was much troubled by the demon of fornication. One day, when he was sorely tempted, the old man began to complain bitterly. "'When will you let me alone?' he said to the devil. "'Be gone from me. You and I have grown old together.' The devil appeared to him, saying, 
Swear to me that you will keep what I am about to tell you to yourself, and I will not trouble you any longer. And the old man swore. Then the devil said to him, Do not worship this image, and I will not harass you. The image in question represented Our Lady, the Holy Mother of God, bearing in her arms our Lord Jesus Christ. You see what those who forbid the worship of images hate in reality, and whose instruments they are. The demon of fornication strove to prevent the worship of Our Lady's image, rather than to tempt the old man to impurity. He knew that the former evil was greater than fornication. How many kinds of images there are, what may be expressed by an image and what may not, who first made images. End of Part 3A